Jeremy, Angela, praise team, children's ministry, everybody working this morning for Jesus. Amen. Is there any place you'd rather be than right here? No place I'd rather be. Thank you. Amen. Other than in heaven. Thank you, Diana, for reminding me that's there. Y'all find 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Amen. And I'm going to read you something this morning you probably hadn't heard in a long time. Boy, I couldn't line this up any better today if I tried a million times. God is just so good. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's wonderful to know that you're mature enough in your faith to realize God's in control. You, young Christians will tell you that, but they don't know it yet. And we say it a lot. We have a lot of the language of Zion. We talk about the language of Zion all the time. But, boy, it's really nice when those truths of the Scripture come true in, in our lives. And we realize God really is in control. And you have been redeemed. That Bible word means to be bought off the auction block. That's what it means. You literally were lost, dead, separated from God. He called you drew you, gave you the faith to believe in him, and redeemed you, paid the price, purchased you. Isn't it good to belong to him? Right, let's look at this passage of Scripture in verse, uh, we're going to go to verse 13, verse number 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. And now these things became examples for us. Everybody say examples. Who are they for? Okay. Examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did. And they were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain. Uh, let's do that again. Nor should we complain. The Greek word is gaguzman. It means to grumble. It's an onomatopoetic word, gaguzman. Y'all know what that is. As some of them did, and they were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples that they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. That makes it applicable to us. Y'all all right? And so whoever thinks that he stands, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. But with that temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear under it. Now, we're going to look at four things in this passage. We're going to look at the blessed but unthankful. Then we're going to look at the idolaters, which is really rebellion. We're going to look at the rebellious that didn't have any faith. And then we're going to look at the sexually immoral. 
And then we're going to look at the grumblers. But today I think it's really awesome that we're going to really concentrate right here. I'll go as far as I can, but I think this is going to be sufficient for us today. I think that when we believe that we are, have arrived and we've got it all figured out, humanistically speaking, we're in trouble. If you will take this passage of Scripture and put it on the United States of America today, that's where we are. We are the most ungrateful people in all the world to have been blessed by God so much. For so many people to literally not support the patriotism, as Brother Brian talked about a while ago, uh, there was two things that I remember about 9-11 that blessed my heart so much. Was One was the patriotism, but the churches got full again with people. If you'll remember back in the Cuban Missile Crisis, those of you who are old enough, many of you lived through that. I was a little boy, but I have studied about it in college, and I've learned to come to see that the churches were so full they had to put chairs out, and all over America everybody thought they were going to die because of nuclear weapons. That's not happened in a long time. We've not seen that since 9-11. Do you remember all of our Republicans and Democrats singing God Bless America on the, on the steps of the Capitol? Do you remember that? Well, those days are gone, aren't they? Now many of those people can't stand America, and they're systematically going about to destroy the United States of America. We can't be self-sufficient. Do, do you remember, I, I tell you, this is, a great, this is a great way to look at this. Do you remember two memorable minutes? In 1863, in a field in Pennsylvania during the month of July, two men spoke. One man you'll remember, and one of them you probably won't remember unless you're a big-time history buff, and many of you may remember that. They were in that field, and one spoke on the field where 51,000 men were either wounded or died. This was the decisive battle that ended the Civil War at Gettysburg. The speaker that came that day, who was a man who was relying upon the flesh, wanted to make a name for himself. His name was Edward Everett. Lincoln heard about this ceremony where that field was going to be dedicated to those men. And Lincoln said, I'm going. And many people said, the silver-tongued devil there, Edward Everett's going to be there. What are we going to do? The president's going to be embarrassed. He's going to speak, and he's going to be so eloquent He's going to make our president look bad. One hour and 57 minutes, the man spoke. Is there anybody in the house this morning that remembers anything that Mr. Everett said? Go ahead, you can speak up. Is there anybody in the house that's ever even heard of Edward Everett? You can raise your hand if you do. You don't have to speak out. Do you remember him? Good. So we have one person out of all these folks. Let me read you something that the other man wrote that lasted for two minutes that history tells us he scribbled on a small piece of paper before he got there. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Y'all remember that? How many of you had to memorize that in school? I can promise you they're not doing that anymore. Which goes to, with my message. I'm going to read the rest of this because I just want to, because probably you've not heard it in a while and some of our young people need to hear it and there's many people by way of the internet that need to hear this and they will understand why we love America so much. 
is because America and our spiritual heritage are, are forever eternally linked because God was in control of founding this nation. Now, we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether the nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We're met on a great battlefield of that war. We've come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that the nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. Lincoln said, I want to remember the people that gave their lives for this country. As Doug stood here and told us about the people that ran to the trouble while we were running away from the trouble to save as many people as we possibly could. Literally, the World Trade Center there, both those buildings were attacked. It wasn't the Trade Center that was attacked. It was America that was attacked. And how can we lose our patriotism with what all the people before us have done. It should be examples. But in a larger sense, Lincoln says, we, we cannot dedicate this field. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hollow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here, they have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note no longer remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather than to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of their devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government shall be of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Now the reason I said that is because I wanted to stir your heart. And I also want, want you to see that what one man did here that spoke, nobody knows what he said. The other man who they thought was just basically just a Johnny-come-lately Lincoln was a great president, and history told the truth about what he did. And, and you know, four score, you, you, when you hear that, you know where that came from. You know what's going on. And that man spoke of God. He spoke of a rebirth of a nation because he understood what being born again was all about. He was a Christian man who loved God. And I want you to see within this text, where we are in this text, Paul the Apostle goes back in history and he says, if we don't obey and live by the commands of God, these things that happen to God's people, literally God's people who came to a place where this was their tea party moment. This was the Boston Tea Party this was 9-11 for them. And Paul was telling that Corinthians church, this is what happened to your forefathers after everything that they saw God do. They just threw it out the window and they all of a sudden they knew better than anyone else. And I believe that if America survives this wave of immorality, rebellion, idolatry, complaining, grumbling, 
If we survive that, God will do it with the remnant, and we're the remnant. We're not going to lose the next generation. The next generation is gone. And it's our job to not let these things that happen to the children of Israel happen to us. And these examples are real. They're right there. Paul has been trying to explain to them, these Christians, the context is don't, don't get puffed up. I know you have knowledge. From chapter 1 on, he's been telling them, I know you have knowledge. And that's why Paul keeps doing this. He says in verse 1, now I want you to know this. And Paul says, you know, of all the people that I know, of all the churches, you, Corinth, you were blessed above everybody else. You may as well just put the United States of America in that passage. You may as well put it right there. Paul says, man, as far as knowledge goes, as far as spiritual gifts goes, you are the, the place, the people that God has blessed more than anybody, but you're the most rebellious and the most sinful, the biggest complainers that there are, and you're idolaters, and our people, our forefathers, did that, and you're about to repeat the same thing. And, and here we are. Christians today want to get as close to the fire as they can without sinning. Paul's talked to them about meat offered to idols. And then over in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, you know the passage well. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Don't think that you can be self-sufficient or, or you may miss the revival. You might do more than just miss the revival. You might miss heaven altogether. And the church of Jesus Christ, we're seeing all this foolishness in our culture invade the church of Jesus Christ. It's all around. And men of God that I've watched over the years preach the word, stand in the pulpit. They don't care who they offend. I'm tired of preachers talking about, boy, I preached a great message today. Well, let me just ask God about that. And I'm telling you, I love your encouragement, and I love it when you say to me, Pastor, great message today. But I want to tell you, I ain't preaching to you. I'm preaching to him. And if you get offended along the way, it's not my job to make you happy. It's my job to make you holy and me holy. And I want to tell you, this message, the first point, convicted me. I'm reading over my notes thinking, goodness gracious, if I hadn't have read this, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't believe it. The Word of God comes true in my heart. And so here we are, Paul says in verse 6 and 11, these examples are here for us so that they will teach us what is acceptable and that we don't get our, our, too big for our britches. Many Baptists are going to miss it. And I want to tell you, we've got spiritual problems. We have problems uh, economically, humanistically speaking, and I don't believe in humanism, but I'm just saying as just good Americans helping one another on the street. We, humanistically, we're sick people today. I mean, we get road rage and somebody will kill you because you cut them off in the road uh, ethically, morally, politically. And, and, and here's what the Jewish people had. As I move into this, and, and I want to ask you, will America fail? Will you fail? Will I fail? Will we commit these same sins? And the Lord had given them all these things. Here, The Lord says, man, I want you to be the people. This is the moment. This is the, the Esther moment for God's people right here. Now you just think about how serious that is. And here Paul is coming to these people. This is a New Testament church moment for them. This was as big as the Exodus. That's the passage we're reading today. That's the context from which Paul brings this. He's saying, do you remember God's people? 
Do you remember what they did? And so let's, let's look at the first thing that happened to them. I want to talk about the blessed but the unthankful. And if that's not who we are today, man, I'm going to tell you. When I read through this, and Pastor's not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching with you. I'm preaching to us because I've already been convicted, so now y'all going to get it. Y'all all right? And I've confessed and said, Lord, help me not to be so unthankful. Notice a reference to the guidance that is here. Uh, Paul says, I want you to know. I mean, here's a 1776 moment right here. He says, listen, you guys, your forefathers were so blessed. And we're going to look at what they did and how good, how good they ha actually had it, which was the starting of a nation. God brought them out of Egypt. Don't forget the importance of your parents' deliverance. Spiritual history and experiences are valuable for such a time as this. Paul says, I want to remind you how you got here as Jewish people. And you Gentiles that have come in to the fold, if you've come into the kingdom of God, I want you to understand where, 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 your, where your parents were and what happened to them and why are you so unthankful right now? Why are you getting into, he says, here's what they did. And so what did these Jewish people actually do? They needed to remember the past. And if we're going to be thankful, we have to remember the past. And all of us, you know, it's, it's uh, Christian, you, you know, I'm American by birth and Christian by the grace of God. You, you know, just, do you know how blessed you were to be born here? Everybody in the world wants to come here, and the goobers in Washington are trying to destroy it. What is wrong with these people? We've had freedom to spread the gospel and do what God's calls us to do. Paul wanted them to have this knowledge. Don't forget from where you came. Notice that he says here, look, you, you may have missed this in the text. Let me help you. You were under the cloud and all of you passed through the sea. There were four things that Paul says. You had guidance. You had leadership. You had provisions. And you had protection. Now, who in this room right now does not have all four of those things? If you're a born-again believer, God is guiding you. God is leading you. He's put leadership in your life. And he has given you provisions. And he is protecting you. And you, you see, listen very carefully. This is a message. The subtitle. Here's the message. Four groups that missed revival. I, I've preached this as a revival message. But a warning to the self-sufficient. One day I was out working with my tractor, and I, this was back when I had a phone line. And I cut the phone line with the tractor, and there was a man that came over to fix it. They sent him right out, and guess what I found out? He's a bivocational pastor of a local church close by here. And we began to talk, and immediately I realized we, we just didn't have a whole lot in common. He was rude and arrogant. And uh, so he got out his little machines, and he was trying to find out where the cut was. And we couldn't find it, and he couldn't find it, and couldn't find it. And he clipped, clipping his little clippings things on there. And he's listening, trying to find out, well, I don't get a dial tone, can't find nothing. And I says, well, I guess I'm going to go have to go to praying and ask the Lord to help us. He said, we'll call him if we need him. I said, well, well pastor. I says, well, i tell you what I'm going to do. Being a nice guy I am, I said, I'm going to go in the house and sit and let you work with the Lord so when he electrocutes you and kills you, I won't be near you. A pastor I was walking down this hill with my girlfriend. We was going down to the dock. 
We're going, we was at Clark Hill. We was walking down. We were going down this hill, and uh, I grabbed her arm. I was going to help her. And uh, there was these center blocks there going down the hill, you know. So I got it. She stepped on the next step, honest, honest engine. Next step, that center block rolled out from under her. And it was on a nice little slope, so it rolled all the way up, all the way up. Doink, hit the head, and then she slid down. Help me, help me, help me up. I said, nope, you got it. <laughs> yeah, you got it, girl. <laughs> the cloud covered the people. The cloud of fire was high in the sky for all those people to see. God has put so many things in your life to help you, you don't even know where they all are. You have to trust the cloud and the pillar of fire. Now, I want you to think with me, how many people are there in the desert? There are about three, estimated three to four million people they could take up the, si the size of a field in the desert of Rhode Island. Now you're getting the context. And so here, how are you going to communicate with all of these people to tell them when to move and when to stop and when to make camp? You really can't. The Jews used horns to communicate. But here the Lord used a pillar of cloud. And I want to say this to you. I don't have scriptural proof for this. But I believe the cloud protected them so much during the heat of the day that they could keep walking. And the Lord, I believe, brought rain or whatever they needed to give them water and to protect them while they were there. And so he says to them, do you remember the cloud? Do you remember the fire by night that, that was there, these, these huge, this fire that kept the people warm? And I want to tell you, if you're in the desert this morning and everything is not going well, you're better off under the cloud, in the desert, and with the fire by night when you're walking with Christ than anywhere else you could be. And it may look like your world is falling apart. But if you're walking with Jesus Christ, He has placed leadership in your life. He's placed the cloud there, the fire there. He's, he's helping you. The, the old picture of a, a group of people on a ship and the storm came and the ship was about to come, across, come apart and the people were scared to death. They were getting close to the rocks and a man disobeyed orders and he goes up and he looks into the steerman's cabin and then he's there and he sees the steerman and he's, he's lassoed himself with ropes. He's tied himself to the wheel and he's guiding that ship off the rocks. And the man went back downstairs and he said, Everyone relax. I've seen the captain. And he smiled at me. <laughs> you may be in bad shape, but I want to tell you something. Jesus has brought you out of some very difficult places in the past. And in Psalm 105:36, it said, Then he struck down all the firstborn in the land, the firstfruits of all their of the manhood. He brought out Israel laden with silver and gold and from among all the tribes, and, and they did not falter. Egypt was glad when they left. Can I say to you, I, I've got the whole passage here, but I, can, I don't have time to read it all. But it says, he brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations 
and they fell heir to what they didn't toil for so that they might keep, they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. And Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He says, do you remember? Do you remember your forefathers and what God did with them? Can I ask you this morning, if you saw a pastor go over to Lake Walton and part the lake, I'll tell you, somebody should be impressed. I not only, I not only brought you from Egypt, they were glad when you left. And they took up a love offering and sent you on your way. Yeah, they didn't have a little gold. They were laden with gold. Now, they saw that. They experienced that. Somebody said, I, I, they, why? God says, because I wanted you to keep my precepts. I wanted you to obey me. I wanted you to do this. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar, in a cloud, a fire, a pillar. And it didn't go out by day or night. And God was always in front of the people. They came to the, to the Red Sea. Moses stretched out his hands over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And now, if you know anything about this many people, it has been estimated that they would have had to go across the Red Sea 5,000 abreast, and it still would have taken all night to get that many people across that water. And everybody, on you can watch the Discovery Channel and Miracles of the Bible and all this, and they'll tell you all these silly stories about what happened in an earthquake dammed up the water, and they all trying to figure out how the people got across there and how long would it have taken for the land to dry. I want to tell you the Lord God Almighty who created the universe said, uh, I want the water to separate and the ground to be dry, and it was, and they started to cross. There wasn't an earthquake. There wasn't a comet. There was, there was nothing crazy. God spoke it by divine fiat. And here you are out in the desert, and this, this man comes along and says, I'm your leader. God called me. I'm getting you out of here. We're leaving. And they saw all the ten plagues. Don't forget that. They've seen all these wonderful, mighty acts of God. Now they come through the Red Sea, and then they get across the other side, and then here come the, the, the soldiers, and then God lets it close back up, and they're all dead. There's people that have looked in all over the Red Sea trying to find evidence of it. In recent days, they found chariot wheels. They found places now. I've seen, I've read about it before, but I've seen it just, in, just this week. I think Josh sent me a thing about, uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah. They found sulfur balls in this place. The, the bricks that have been there for thousands and thousands of years have charred marks all over them. They found Sodom and Gomorrah. You've seen all these things. The Israelites went through the Red Sea. They had leadership. They passed through it. The Greek word here means to pierce through. It means to pass through. They pierced through it. They were baptized into Moses. What does that mean? It means that they submitted to Moses' leadership. You remember in, in Acts 19, Paul talks to the people and he says, Well, we, he says, Have you received the Holy Spirit? He said, No. He says, What baptism have you had? And, and they said, We've had the baptism of John. The baptism of John was a, 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 pre, a pre-New Testament church baptism. It was a baptism of submission, that they were submitting to the leadership of John the Baptist uh, about the coming of Christ. These young fellows this morning were baptized. We say to them, you're identified with Christ. You're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. 
You, you put yourself under someone's, uh, su- you submit under their leadership. You, you, when you join this church, you say, well, I'm going to let Brother Jerry lead us, and I'm submitting under the deacons and the pastor. And when you go into a Sunday school class, you submit to your Sunday school. You, you, you're there, and you identify with them. And, and here, they identify with most. God gave them a leader, and the Lord says, I'm going to bless this man. I'm going to tell him what to do. He's going to lead you out of this place, and he's going to take you to the promised land. And they messed up before they ever got there. God has to raise up a new, a new people because everything that they saw, I'm telling you, they had to be Baptist. People could see their pastor walking on water, and they say, yeah, I know he can walk on water, but the joker can't swim. God can touch a church, and there'll be some whiny crybabies in that church complaining about everything. And they're going to miss the revival because they're not thankful. People sit down and eat a free meal and complain about it. I'm telling you, if I said before, I could hand out $20 bills at the church on the way out to everybody coming out. And somebody would say, man, you got two tens? It would happen. The word baptism means to immerse under. You see, you're baptized under by immersion because you identify with someone. That's why we don't sprinkle here. And all the Methodists I talk to say, well, it just, it just doesn't matter how, how you do it. You're baptized. No, it does. It does matter because sprinkling doesn't picture the identity that you have with someone. I want you to know that when we put you under that water, what you're saying is, I'm doing what Jesus did. I, I am identifying with his death. He was my Savior, my sacrifice, and they put him in the grave, and he rose from the dead. That puts him next to God in the throne room, and that's what I'm identifying with. Yeah, there are some Baptists in here. If your leader is walking with God, he's going to take you through the Red Sea every now and then. God always starts with a called leader, and God brings about that leader to bring his people where they need to be. The modern church sees church differently as it used to, and that's our problem. The preaching of the word and Sunday school and discipleship and holy worship, that's not good anymore. They walk in the door and say, can I get a cup of coffee? Where's the coffee shop? If you come to Woodlake, listen to me, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to preach out of the book, and I'm going to shake your tree every Sunday. And I want you to hear the word of God from on high and let the Holy Spirit apply it to your heart and grow you up and mature you in Christ and teach you how to have faith and trust in your God and be like Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Here's what kills me. You take folks, you train them, you disciple them, you love them, you support them, you minister to them. And then what do they do? They go off in the wilderness, get rebellious, they don't trust God, and they die in the wilderness. Listen very carefully to me. What you're afraid of will get you. What did they, what did they say? We're gonna, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. What happened to them? You see, they didn't like the, they didn't like the path. They didn't like the leadership. They didn't like the direction they were going in. You know, God wasn't concerned about going from Egypt straight across to the Holy Land. You see, he'd have put an unholy people in a holy land. That was not going to work. 
So God was building a nation. Y'all all right? You see, and I say, I said this. I was kidding with somebody this week, and I really shocked them. And we were talking about some of the things that happened in my life personally here this week. And, and then and they said, and I said, God is good. I said, I think last week he took his eye off me for a minute. <laughs> and they said, Pastor. I said, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but you know what? That's what we do. We think the God that brought me out of sin, out of Egypt, brought me through the Red Sea, taught me, healed me, pushed me forward. He's been with me 40, 50 years, and now all of a sudden, the Lord took his eye off of me. The Lord forgot about me. And then my children that follow me, they don't understand because they're like, wait a minute, I thought we were Jesus followers. Did this trial change the Lord? No, the Lord, the Lord really is just taking me a route to get where he wants me to go, which is heaven, that I didn't really choose for myself. And be honest with you, I don't really like this way. It is hot out here in the desert. There's snakes out here. But I want to tell you, God put the cloud there. He put the fire there. He put the leadership in front of me. And he's walking with me day by day by day by day. Notice they were given spiritual food and drink. This is provisions. Sounds like Psalm 23, doesn't it? It does. It really sounds like it. Most of us have been spoiled, literally, on good preaching and good music. And they literally are so unthankful that they come to church and sit. I used to see people would come and just enjoy all of the fruits and the ministries and the blessings of church and never serve, never give, never do anything. Comfy chairs. I remember when we were in the warehouse, people come in and see the partitions we had. We had Sunday school classes right next to one another. And if you really didn't like what was going on in your class, you could kind of block it out and hear who was teaching something else if you wanted to. That's how close we were together. We had a baptistry that leaked. Lane Bridges, am I telling the truth? Your class, when we had to do baptism, we had two big old rolled doors in that Sunday school place. We rolled the door up, and there was this old wooden baptistry right there. And after a while, that weight of the water just made that thing crack. One night I was down there. In the middle of that building, Brian and Jesse were in there cleaning the building. They said, Brother Jerry, the baptistry is leaking. Now here I come down there with duct tape. I get in the baptistry in my skivvies, and I'm taping that sucker up with duct tape. To God be the glory. You know what I'm saying? And then it held all night. And then when they came in, it started leaking. They had Sunday school. Listen, our senior adults, who I love and respect, had to do Sunday school with an inch of water on the floor. Guess what they did? Not a soul said a word. And they had Sunday school. They were more excited about the baptism than they were about Sunday school. Listen, about, about the water. They, they were so happy to see the baptism. And, and, man, we baptized a bunch of people in that thing, I was going to tell you. And uh, I remember I got pictures. Krista, gone to college now, baptized Krista uh, Milligan in that baptistry right there. I baptized your babies in that baptistry. And there were people that came and said, I'm not, I'm just not. You know, we, we had the pavilion up here, and we'd come up here and do services sometime when we built the pavilion, so we'd get on the property. we put porta-potties out here, and people say, I'm not going in a porta-potty. And I'd say, well, if you had to go bad enough, you would go in that porta-potty. Or you'd go down that hill right there, I can promise you that. Amen. Are you that dignified? I understand that. If I'm on the golf course, I don't go in the porta-potties. But let me tell you, there have been days I went in the porta-potty. Y'all all right? 
nature calls, you got to go. The people got uppity. They'd come in there and see things. They were just, they were high-class folks. And then I'd say, well, they left. They never came back. But guess what? They weren't my kind of people. The kind of people that stayed with us or the kind of people right here will do anything for the cause of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Now notice this. And let me tell you this. They drank from the same spiritual drink. They got the food of God. Can you remember? Now listen, I'm talking about 3 million. Some people estimate 4 to 5 million people. Can you imagine how much food that is every day and how much water? That is incredible. And listen, it says, look, I didn't say this. The text said that they drank from the spiritual water there at the rock. That was Christ. Who was in the cloud? Who was in the, who was in the, 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 the big cloud in the cloud of fire, the pillar of fire? Who was there? Who was in the water? It was Jesus Christ. It was a, Jesus was giving them the living water. He was keeping them alive. Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. If people, I just love this so much, I can't pastor get with oh I'm so upset my people won't follow me it's all right they won't even follow Jesus y'all all right Jesus Christ was feeding them and giving them water and leading them and that still wasn't good enough there's some folks out there now that there's no church good enough for them and they just go around wreaking habit let them go the, the, listen the Greek word is Pneumatikos is spiritual. He says here, and they drank from the spiritual rock, spiritual food. That's the Son of God. It, it literally it means to be regenerate, spiritual, ethereal, supernatural entity. Supernaturally, Jesus was leading the people. That wasn't good enough for God's people. And you know what they you know what just drives me crazy when you think about this. This detestable food. You can look and read Exodus. And here we are out here, Moses. You know what they're going to do? Kill their leader. Moses said, Lord, these people are talking about stoning me. They're talking about killing me. And they're saying, this food that you gave them is detestable. Wow. You, You know, I've done the same thing. I preach a good word right out of the message, and somebody would just have something really nice to say about it. And I say, you know what? It don't bother me because you've proved you won't even follow Jesus. You won't even drink and eat what the Lord provides for you. Straight from the book. I love this. Did you see the last blessing? Akalathusis is the Greek word. It means to continually follow. It means to accompany. Jesus was walking with them. Did you know that Jesus is walking with you and you might not even know it? See, because all you can see is the pain and the heartache and everything else. And I can promise you, and here's what the Lord has said to me in recent days. Jerry, if you, if you are pure and holy like you should be, this trial wouldn't be here. You know why the trials are there? Because I'm unholy. And God has beaten that out of me. He wants that out of me so that he can use me to bless you and to preach his word and to minister and do all those things. But you see, I've got a, oh, I've got a big plan for my life and what I want, what I'm going to do. And Jesus says, I'm walking with you, son. I'm the one leading you. I have the leadership for you. I'm providing for you. What else do you need? Your life should be so satisfied and fulfilled. But Jerry, you're not listening to me. Listen to this. This was from the, the quartermaster general, literally, to speak, who has analyzed the exodus. And he said two to three million people would need 1,500 tons of food a day, two freight trains, 
a mile long, 4,000 tons of firewood a day, 11 million gallons of water a day for 40 years, needed three miles to go across, 500 abreast in one night to get on the other side. To camp, they needed two-thirds the size of, a size of Rhode Island, 750 square miles. Now let me ask you, after all of that, these people died in the wilderness. The whole Israelite community complained and were unthankful, and God sent the snakes, and 23,000 of these people died in one day. Wow. They had guidance, they had leadership, they had protection, they had provisions, they had shelter, they had protection from the other nations. They were the most blessed people on the planet that they died in the wilderness. Jesus traveling with them, providing for them, guiding for them, following them, and going ahead of them. And if you're not right with God, Paul says, here's the example. If you're not right with God on a personal level, if the church is not right with God on a personal level, no building, no religion, no God will ever be good enough for you. You just keep walking. That's what Jesus said. In Revelation, he says, let the righteous be righteous still. And let the ungodly be ungodly still. Amen? Now, that was just the first group. You'll notice in the text also, as I'm finished, I'm finished right here. He says, man, they were rebellious. Paul says, y'all are doing the same thing. You see, they start worshiping the, the calf. Can you imagine the heart of Moses? has the Ten Commandments in his hand. Comes down the mountain. The Lord says, your people have gone crazy down there. Go check on them. He goes down, and what does he see? Sexual immorality. Can I say this to you? The word there is adultery. Pornea. Moses on the mountain, getting the Ten Commandments given to him, and God's people said, make us a calf to worship. This God has forsaken us. All the while, there's a black cloud on the top burning there. God's presence was still there. And the people literally were swapping wives and husbands in an act of worship to a calf that they created. That's ungodly. Has anything changed? No. They were... Sexually immoral, rebellious, and then they were grumblers. Now, we're going to get to this. <laughs> you know, some churches today handling snakes, but one day God's going to do this miracle again, and there's going to be some Baptists in a church, and they're going to be sitting there during the service or before the service, and they're going to be just going to town, gossiping and grumbling, and all of a sudden, something's going to wrap around one of them's leg. And boy, they're going to holler, and somebody's going to say, the Holy Ghost broke out. And before you know it, the place will get cleared out. Wouldn't that be awesome in a Baptist church on a Sunday morning of one of the most complaining churches in all the SBC and the snakes move in one, one morning? I gave my brother a hard time not too long ago. He went on on a Sunday morning, and a big old black snake got into church, 
and the snake was wrapped around the pulpit. I didn't let that go. I had a lot of fun with that. I was going to tell you, I had a lot of fun with that. But uh, pride comes before destruction. I wish I could tell you the people that I know that had it made and blew it. I had a cousin that was a pharmacist, got addicted to drugs, wasted his life. His father was a pastor. His heart exploded from doing drugs. Yeah. How many guys do you know that were been in the ministry that had it made? God was using them. Got burned out. Got burned out. Wait a minute. Hold on. You know, let me give you a one-liner. Here's your good one-liner for today. Your talent can take you where your character can't keep you. I want to cry right now. The man that taught me that has made some terrible mistakes. He's a talented preacher. God help me that if we ever get self-sufficient and we forget who's doing the work, we ever forget who's on the throne. That's just one point, but I hope this week you'll think about boy, just how good we have it. In the worst of times, we're in the best country in the world. If you want to know how tough it is, you just call Carol and Doug up and say, how, how are the kids in Burkina Faso on the mission field? They'll tell you what's going on. Look on Facebook and see what the Brucies are doing. See what they need. Hmm. Can I just say publicly, God forgive me. Lord, please forgive Jerry Gray for being so ungrateful. And Lord, help us to see your goodness and your love. And if, if you're here this morning, you've never given Jesus your heart, boy, you're missing the blessings. They're there. Just come get them. Maybe you just need, you need a church home. You need a place to be loved and cared for. Uh, come right here. Maybe you just need to come to the altar today and say, Lord, forgive me for being so unthankful. And please, if you're watching by way of the internet, you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm telling you, if you would just turn your heart towards him, forget everything, look to him and say, Father, in the name of Christ, I come and ask for cleansing and forgiveness of my sins. Save me. I want to be born again. If you do that and you're serious, he'll save you today. Amen? All right, let's stand to our feet. Father.